Hi, my name is Cor. The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 103, 1 through 5. Let my whole being bless the Lord. Let everything inside me bless his holy name. Let my whole being bless the Lord and never forget all his good deeds. How God forgives all your sins, heals all your sicknesses, saves your life from the pit, crowns you with faithful love and compassion, and satisfies you with plenty of good things so that your youth is made fresh like an eagle's. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Brooke. The New Testament reading is found in 1 Peter 2, 22 through 25. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The word of the Lord. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading. The gospel reading is taken from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they were thus questioning within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to our Lord Christ. Remain standing as we pray. Come Holy Spirit and open our eyes that we would see Jesus in a fresh way today. Come and open our ears, Lord, that we would hear your word speaking, resonating to us. And Lord, come and give us soft hearts that we would 
be a, a good, good soil for your word to take root in us, that we would be changed today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, it's good to see some orange and blue in the room today. I'm doing my part with my bow tie. <laughs> this morning at the 9 o'clock, um, we, we, there were some Pittsburgh Steeler fans in the room, but we still serve them communion. So I just want you to know, we welcome everyone at New Life Downtown. We're in a series today um, on the book of Mark, on the Gospel of Mark. We're in week two of the series. And uh, last week when we began, we, we went over just a few kind of basic things about this gospel. By tradition, it's the earliest gospel. Um, uh, many scholars believe it was written in, in the A.D. 60s. Uh, somewhere in the 60s there before the fall of Jerusalem. There's many different reasons for, for arriving at that date. Um, there's also reason to believe that, that Mark, as his sort of um, its special source, was Peter, the, the apostle. And uh, there's some reasons for that. There's some insider stories from Peter that seems like uh, maybe got made their way through Mark. Mark was likely one of the 70, though not one of the 12, despite the picture on the screen. And, uh, but the picture really sort of helps us visualize kind of a question. And so our subtitle of the series has been Getting Reacquainted with Jesus. And so this sort of gesture on the screen is kind of this question of, who is this Jesus? And Mark, of all the gospel writers, leaves that question open in, in, in a way that invites the listener to sort of participate. In fact, it's very possible that Mark was written like a play, like a Greek drama. And so he's sort of inviting the listener or the audience to enter the drama, to sort of feel the moments with each scene, and then to, at the end of it, say, okay, so, so who do you think he is? And of course, Mark is giving us hints and, and, and descriptions along the way. But this is the question that we're going to wrestle with as we go through this series. Now, we also mentioned last week, there's this word immediately that occurs 42 times in Mark's gospel. And it's important because it helps us understand this is a fast-paced story. Uh, in, in, in some ways, it's the perfect gospel account for the 21st century world. Because I don't have time for, you know, all of this backdrop and stuff. Just, just cut to the chase. Keep the scenes moving. Well, Mark does that. In fact, he doesn't even have a birth story. There's no nativity account in Mark. He just starts with the baptism scene. And so last week, we talked about the opening words that say, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then last week, we spent some time saying, what does it mean to say that Jesus is the Son of God? And why is that good news for us? And how, because he is the Son of God, that very identity and destiny and authority can become ours as we become children of God. Well, this morning, as we continue, uh, I would like to, to have you kind of view these stories. We're going to look at four different stories. I'd like you to think of them as four scenes in an episode, okay? And all of this, this whole episode is about Jesus the healer. Episode two, Jesus the healer. Now, maybe when you hear that, you think, okay, Jesus the healer. Some of you are like, oh no, why? Why do we have to talk about, I don't want to talk about healing because healing just conjures up for you feelings of disappointment, feelings of pain, and maybe even literal physical pain. You're thinking, well, I, look at what I'm dealing with. Look at what I'm living with. Look at what a friend of mine or a loved one was doing. I don't know that I want to think about healing because it represents so much disappointment. 
Others of you, you hear this phrase and you think, yes, Jesus the healer. All right. When is the revival going to start? You know, do we need like anointing oil and modesty cloths and, you know, catchers for the line or whatever? We're ready. I'm ready for this to sort of begin. This is exciting. But maybe there's a third group of you that are saying, well, why does this even matter? Like, can't, can't we just skip this stuff? Like, I mean, is this even important, Glenn? I mean, this isn't what the gospel's really all about. My hope for us this morning is as we journey through episode two together, that you would have fresh eyes not only about healing, but that you would begin to see Jesus the healer in a different way. So you ready to begin? Here we go. Mark 1, verse 29 is where we'll start. And immediately, there's that word again, immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. This is such a beautiful story to me because we've seen some dramatic stories about Jesus already. There have been some scenes that show his authority and his power. But this shows a very tender side of Jesus. This shows that Jesus, the healer, is personal. This shows a very personal Jesus. Imagine if you're at the house, you're, you're Simon, you've just begun to follow Jesus, you think he teaches with great authority, you've seen some of the miracles, but you wonder if this guy really cares about you and your life, or if he's just about the mission and the kingdom. And what we see is they say to him, they say, Jesus, Simon's mother-in-law is not well. And he comes and he takes her by the hand and lifts her up. Just a beautiful scene. Jesus the healer is personal. Right from the start here this morning, the beginning of us seeing this subject, seeing Jesus himself in a fresh light, maybe it's helpful to kind of take this deep breath and to say, Jesus, you see me. You see the pain. You see the details. You see the parts of the story. You come and you take me by the hand. And then the story goes on. It says that that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. <laughs> well, that's kind of fun. I, well, I want to say this before we make an observation about Jesus. It's not accidental that Mark groups together the sick and then those oppressed by demons. Because what he's trying to help us see is when you think about sickness, sometimes the question is, God, whose side are you on? Whose side are you on? When I sit with people who are struggling with a, a disease or, or a severe illness, Sometimes the question at the core is, God, are you with me or are you on cancer's side? And I know there's questions we have to wrestle with about what it means to say that God is sovereign and how does God allow and all of this, those different things. There's many nuances and layers to that. But Mark, in a very raw sense, just wants us to know, look, when you're grouping together things that are evil, put sickness in that category. When you're grouping together things that don't belong in God's good world, put sickness there. Put sickness in the same camp that you put demons in. In other words, it's okay to say that this is evil. 
Sometimes we, we, we're conflicted about this as Christians because we don't want to, well, I mean, I don't want to be a, a murmurer or a complainer and all this stuff. And Mark is saying, no, listen, when Jesus begins to confront evil with the kingdom of God, sickness is part of the, the thing that he is confronting. Whose side is he on? He's on the side of wholeness and restoration. And so Mark wants us to see that. But, but also in this scene is a, is a bunch of people coming to him. It says the whole crowd, the whole town came out to him. Maybe a hyperbole, right? But a whole, they, they, and it says Jesus healed many of them. Jesus the healer is accessible. It's not just that Jesus the healer is personal, but Jesus the healer is accessible. We can get to him. This isn't, this isn't for the specials or the elites or the, you know, just a few people out there who can, you know, who can get healing. Jesus is saying, look, this is available. This is here for all. And if we didn't quite believe that, the next story really drives it home. The next scene, verse 32. Excuse me, verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling, and said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can. I love this. I love this because the leper is not questioning at the moment Jesus' ability. But what he's uncertain about is Jesus' willingness. There's now a bit of a, a legend growing here of Jesus and his miracle-working power. And so this leper does something extraordinarily risky because lepers were quarantined. And in the ancient world, there was a spectrum of, of, um, of skin conditions that could fall under the category of leprosy. It could be anything mild from, from a sort of a rash or maybe even a ch chicken pox or something like that to something really severe like, like leprosy where you lose appendages and, 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 and it's, it's highly contagious. And so you were quarantined as a leper. You were viewed as an outcast. You were viewed as someone who was judged and, and, and below the, um, the, the bottom of society. And so he takes this huge risk just to approach Jesus. That in itself is risky. And you can almost hear it in his voice, Sir, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus says, Moved with pity, it says, he stretched out his hand and touched him. Now, here it is again. Here, Kyle, be the leper for me for a moment, okay? He reaches out his hand and touches him. There's a couple reasons why he shouldn't have done that. <laughs> One is medical. Look, the dude is contagious. Like, don't touch him. But the other is ceremonial. You were not supposed to touch anything unclean, or that would make you unclean. Now, Jesus, you're going to have to be quarantined. But you know what Mark wants us to see? Jesus' power to cleanse is stronger than sin's power to contaminate. Jesus' power to cleanse is stronger than sin's power to contaminate. And so Jesus is saying, look, it's okay. You're, you've approached me with faith. I am moved with pity, and I'm going to reach out and take your hand. Yes, he took Peter's mother-in-law's hand. But just in case you're wondering if this is for insiders only, Jesus says, let me go to the outsider of all outsiders, a leper, and let me take him by the hand. And he makes him clean. It says, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Then Jesus tells him, okay, you need to go to the temple. You need to present yourself to the priest. You need to do all of these things to make it right. But you know what I think Mark also wants us to see? There were all these laws about how you could make yourself appear clean. But Jesus is better than the law because the law can only tell you how to appear clean. But Jesus can make you clean. 
I think there's a parallel in our world today where we say, look, all of the rules of Christianity are maybe, can maybe help you how to be a good church person, be a nice kid, look nice, you know, all the stuff. But look, there's only one with the power to actually make you clean, and that's Jesus. Jesus, the healer, is merciful. He's personal, he's accessible, but now in this scene, the drama of the episode is escalating a little bit, and and we see Jesus, the healer, is merciful. There's no one too far outside. There's no one too unclean. There's no one too gross. Jesus isn't grossed out by our stain, by the stain of our sin. Jesus isn't saying, eh. Jesus says, I'm willing. And he touches the hand of the leper and makes him clean. What the law could never do, Jesus does. But I think all of these scenes have been building in a crescendo to this very final scene of the episode. The final scene of the episode in our Bibles, it's separated by a chapter marking. But if we didn't have chapters or verses, we'd see it. Look, it's four healing stories right in a row. And here it is in Mark chapter 2. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home or at a home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Picture this, okay? If, If Mark's gospel really is a play, a drama, I mean, imagine this scene. They're four friends carrying their paralytic friend on a mat, some sort of thing. I mean, maybe it's poles and really strong fabric or something, and they're carrying him. We don't know how far they were walking, but they get there, and they're like, dude, we can't get in the door. Like, man, we came all the way here. Like, what are we going to (laughs) do? And when when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. You're like, okay. (laughs) Now, obviously, this was a home where, not like our homes, the roof is not, you know, you know made of a, a proper, you know, whatever, our, our shingles and concrete, whatever. This is, this is a, a thatched roof, very likely made of, 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 of a, a compact of dirt and mud and sticks and stuff. Maybe you've been to, to places in the world where you've seen uh, homes like this. But it makes it easier for them to create a hole and just slightly more disturbing for the people in the house. Because you're there. I mean, imagine you're in this crowded house and Jesus is preaching. You're like, this is awesome. This is the best sermon I've ever heard, right? And all of a sudden, clump of dirt. Like, what was that? Another clump of dirt. But there goes a stone. Like, what is going on up there? And all of a sudden, a hand comes through the roof. And you're like, good Lord, what is happening? No, it needs to be bigger. You know, that's the scene I'd really like to see. They're like, does he fit? No, no, no. Bigger, bigger hole, you know. A foot comes through the roof. People are thinking, what is going on here, right? They have everyone's attention now, (laughs) to say the least. And they made an opening and they they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, be healed. No. No, he says something very unexpected. First he says, son. I just think that is so beautiful. Last week, in last week's episode, the heavens opened like a big roof 
that opened. And the father said, this is my son. This week, there's another opening in a roof, but it's by some very desperate friends. And they lower a paralyzed man. And Jesus says, son. Jesus, the son of God, who comes to make us sons and daughters, says to this one, son. And he cuts to the very heart of the issue, and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now you're thinking, this is very odd, Jesus, because clearly the guy has more pressing needs, doesn't he? There's an old rabbinic saying, it's found in the Talmud, that says, only, no one gets up from a sickbed until all his sins are forgiven. Isn't that interesting? No one gets up from a sickbed until all his sins are forgiven. Now maybe Jesus is saying, look, I get that he's paralyzed, but there's something deeper at the heart. Now here's what I want us to catch. We cannot say that every sickness is the result of sin. We can't say that. We can't say that, oh, listen, I know you have that disease because you rebelled against God. And in the ancient world, there was a, there was a bit more of that connection. But here's what we don't want to miss. It would be too easy for us to become the modern Westerners that we are and say, well, forgiveness is forgiveness and sickness is sickness. Sin is sin. Sickness is sickness. Forgiveness over here. Healing over here. And there's something we can miss that the Eastern view of the world ha- ha- had. And that is that it's all part of the same fabric. It's all part of the same fabric. If you punch a hole in a shirt or a sweater, guess what starts to happen? It starts to fray all around. It starts to rip all around it. And you could say, well, let's just fix where the hole began. That's true, but the rest of the fabric is ripped too. It's spread. See, look, sickness is in the world because sin entered the world. Do you remember what God said to Adam and Eve? He says, you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. The physical fracturing of the world is a picture and a part of the spiritual fracturing in the world. Adam and Eve's relationship with God gets split apart. Guess what? Everything else starts coming apart. Human relationships start coming apart. Bodies start breaking down. Everything else starts ripping apart. It's part of the same fabric. So yes, we don't want to make the mistake and say, well, I know why you're sick. It's because you've sinned. We will never go there. But neither do we want to pretend that they're two entirely different things. It's all part of the same. In a macro sense, because sin entered the world, death entered the world, disease entered the world, everything that makes the world come apart is there. But here's the beauty of this. Jesus is putting it all back together again. And he's starting with the heart of the issue. He's saying, look, I'm addressing this man's sin because really the problem in all of us, the thing that is sick in all of us is our own hearts, is our own sin. So I want to start there. But, but also, they find this so offensive because they say, this guy's blaspheming. No one but God can forgive sins. They're right. This is unprecedented. This is where all of a sudden the episode has turned to a climactic moment and the music score is really building up because, because look, Elijah did miracles. Other prophets did miracles. But who can forgive sins? Who can actually stand up and say, your sins are forgiven? And not, and not say, God will forgive your sins after this 
penalty or after this. You remember Nathan the prophet had told David, he said, look, the Lord will have mercy on you, but look, there's going to be this consequence or this penalty. Here Jesus shows up, and he's not talking about any penalty or punishment or consequence. He just says, your sins are forgiven, son. And they're like, who talks like that? Only God could say that. And so I love Jesus' response because he says, well, which is easier to say? Get up or your sins are forgiven. Now, this is a bit of a trick question, isn't it? Because how would you answer that? If you say, well, I know what's easier. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven because we'll never know if they are. You're like, yeah, but hang on. That's blasphemy, which means you should be stoned and killed. You're like, oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> like, well, then it's easier to say, take up your mat and walk, it's like, except that if he doesn't, then everyone will know you're a fraud. You're like, yeah, good point. And Jesus is like, okay. Are you done now? I can do both. And so he says, rise, take up your mat, and walk. Healing is not some random, extra, add-on sort of thing. Healing takes on a very important role in the Gospels, and this is what it is. Healing is a signpost and a snapshot of the Gospel. Healing is a signpost and a snapshot. Now, here's what I mean. We're going to take each of those words for a minute. Why a signpost? What do signposts do? They tell you what's coming, right? They tell you what's ahead. They tell you when you're almost there. If you were headed up to Breckenridge to go skiing, and let's say the weather was bad, and you weren't quite sure, you'd never been before, and you saw a sign that says, Breckenridge, 10 miles, you're like, okay, good. We're on the right way. We're on our way to Breck. But nobody gets out at the signpost and starts skiing. They go, here we are. There's the sign, Breckenridge. Let's just put on our gear. You know. What are you doing? I've seen the sign. Like, but you're not there. Healing is significant because it points to what's coming. This is where sometimes as American Christians, the descendants of Greek thought, all that we have focused on about the gospel is that Jesus forgives our sins and our souls are saved. Now, that's good, but it's not quite complete. Because do you remember the way the creed ends? We just did this whole series on the creed last fall. What's the last phrase of the creed? We look for the resurrection of the dead. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know about that, man. I just want to fly away, oh glory. I just want my soul to be like a bird free from a cage out of this whole body, this trap. That's Plato, not Jesus. What do you mean, Glenn? I mean that what Jesus accomplished for all who are in him is a physical, completed, restored, transformed body. Resurrection body, a resurrection body is going to be yours and mine one day. Healing is a signpost that says, look, that's coming. So every time you get healed or someone gets healed physically, you're like, this is so awesome. I want to see, I'm not sick anymore. And then you say, but you know what? A sign is pretty cool, but the destination's even better. The destination's even better. Like, this is awesome. I love when a miracle happens. But you know what? This physical, you know what it tells me? It tells me that God cares about the physical. 
This is so important, you guys, because for years, Christians have internalized this message that God just cares about our souls. God is not interested in souls. God is interested in redeeming the whole of creation. All of it. All of it. Redeeming the whole of creation. He's not in the business of saving souls. He's in the business of making all things new. That's what he does. And so healing is a stamp of that. It's a sign of that. It says, look, God says, I know that you're suffering. I know that it stinks. And the message of the gospel is not just keep a stiff upper lip and grin and bear it because one day you'll fly away. The message of the gospel is even if you don't see the sign now, you will one day receive bodily resurrection. It's going to come. See, here's the thing about signs. Sometimes you see them. Sometimes you don't. But the point is that you get to the destination. Some of you are here. You're like, I, I, I'd love the sign of healing. Like, great. But I've got news for you. Even if you don't see the sign, you're still going to get to the destination. You're still going to get there. You will still arrive at the day, one day when he returns, and you will receive with all the saints a resurrected body. That's when it is complete. That's tremendous news. If you think about it, all those who were healed eventually died. This is the finiteness of a sign. A sign is just a sign. The sign to Breckenridge is not Breckenridge. So they were healed, and then they died. I mean, I think the guy who got the worst of it was Lazarus, because he had to die twice. <laughs> it's like, Jesus, I just went through this. And why didn't he write a book? You know, I mean, we got 90 minutes in heaven. Oh, he got three days in the grave. Come on, Lazarus. Where was his agent sleeping on the job? Physical healing is great, but it's just a sign. But what about this other word, snapshot? What does that mean? That means if you want a glimpse into what it means to have your sins forgiven and your heart made new, you say, what does that look like? Like, What does that look like? I mean, that sounds so like ethereal glimpse. What does that look like? You know what it looks like? It looks like being a leper, stained and ashamed, and all of a sudden being made clean. It looks like a person who couldn't walk, who was stuck in an old way of living, who all of a sudden begins to get up. It looks like a dead man, Lazarus, dead in our sins, now alive in Christ. Healing's a snapshot of the gospel. Because sometimes we need a little help imagining this. What, is this. what does it mean to be made new in Christ? It looks like that. It looks like an unclean person being cleansed. It looks like a paralyzed person moving again. It looks like a dead person coming to life again. He healing is a snapshot of the gospel. And when we look at this story, the most powerful thing about this story to me is how Jesus' command creates the power. With Jesus, his command creates the power. See, look, anybody could say to a paralytic, get up. But if the command doesn't actually create the power in them to get up, it's a terrible command. In fact, it's kind of insulting, right? It reminds me of that old sketch, you know, the, the, the bad therapist. Like someone comes in, I'm struggling with these feelings. He says, stop it. And he's like, but, but I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm just struggling with it. Well, I've got two words for you. Stop it. You know, and he's like, I can't. 
And that's sort of like church, right? Sometimes we come to church and we just imagine that all we hear is God saying, stop, 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 just do this, just be different, just be better, be better, be better. And you're like, I can't, I can't, I can't. Unless we recognize that with Jesus, the command creates the power. The command creates the power. See, the creed says that Jesus... The very word of God, through him, all things were made. Jesus' words carry a creating power that all of a sudden, when he says to the paralytic, rise, something new is created in the paralytic. Power comes into the paralytic, and he says, well, now I can. You see, Jesus is better than the law because the law can just command. Jesus imparts the power to actually obey. Do you see how this is better? This is Mark's way of saying, You need more than instructions. You need a power that comes into you to actually become new. Healing is a snapshot of the gospel because it shows us that with Jesus, the command creates the power. And so when Jesus speaks and says, Lazarus, come forth, he comes forth. When he says to a paralyzed man, rise, take up your mat, all of a sudden he can. And when he says to the adulterous woman, go and sin no more, all of a sudden she can. Everything is different. Everything is different when Jesus speaks. What I want to invite you into this morning is to hear the words of Christ again. To hear the words of Christ to you, to your life, to your heart, to your situation, saying, my daughter, my son, your sins are forgiven. That's a pronouncement that creates a new reality. You're different. And the words of Christ that say to you, you were stuck, but now you can get up. You were dead, but now you're alive. You were in sin, but now you can sin no more.